On this episode of The Data Show, I speak with database industry veteran Rohit Jain. We talk about his experiences at HP Labs and also his recent work uh, bringing a hybrid transactional analytic system into the Hadoop ecosystem. He's also the author of an upcoming O'Reilly report, and you can find this report at O'Reilly.com slash go slash DB Nirvana. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, welcome to the Data Show. Today's guest is Rohit Jain of Eskin, a new startup uh, based in, I believe, Austin, Texas. Welcome to the Data Show. Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, Ben. Actually, the company is based in Milpitas. I'm based in Austin, Texas. But oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Sorry yeah. about that. So, no, no first off, let's talk a little bit about your background. I noticed you have an MBA, but uh, that uh, was a bit surprising to me because I've always thought about you as a database person. But uh, uh, have you ever used your MBA? No, actually, I haven't. In fact, I've got two MBAs. One was from uh, BITS, BITS Pilani, which was oh, yeah, in, yeah, in India, and and then from University of Michigan. So the second attempt was to try and change my my career, but I decided to just stick in uh, uh, in computers. It sort of you know worked for me, and so yeah, I never really did use uh, an MBA, but I guess subconsciously you do, you know. In, so uh, you yeah. spent many many years at HP. So describe kind of the arc of your career in HP. Yeah, so I, I joined uh, HP because I was working on tandem computers really in the field. So I was doing a lot of application development in various uh, on various platforms uh, from IBM uh, to essentially Burroughs and Honeywell to ended up working on tandems uh, for some of the tandem customers, especially uh, at that, that time General Motors in, in uh, Michigan. And uh, so I got to know a lot of the Tandem folks and uh, a friend of mine there, um, you know, persuaded me to join Tandem. And that was, I was like a solutions architect or a field analyst, uh, you know, supporting sales and services and eventually got into uh, doing, you know, when, when we introduced nonstop SQL, which was about 1989, uh, which was the first relational database doing, you know, OLTP type workloads. I got into doing database and design and tuning because at that time, if you remember, SQL was uh, pretty early and, and people needed a lot of guidance into actually even writing SQL, leave alone doing database design and tuning. So we actually came up with design and tuning uh, services and so forth that, that I then delivered for quite a while. Uh, eventually, I joined uh, development and uh, was lucky to work on uh, some patented uh, features like multidimensional access method that we are pretty proud of having in the, in the database. Um, and so I actually got into the database development itself for nonstop SQL and then worked on SQL MX, which was a, a completely rewritten version, much, much more for BI analytics side. And then, so that's basically, I was now in development and then I had various roles in development. I managed the development team in Austin and then became uh, the chief architect for a product called NeoView, which was in the market for a few years from 2007 to 2011 as an enterprise data warehouse solution. It was intended to be an appliance uh, solution, just like... Uh, you know, Vertica or, or some of these other solutions, but it ended up, uh, you know, we had uh, Mark Hurd who had joined from Teradata. So he sort of um, pulled us in into pretty large deployments um, such as Walmart and so forth. So NewView really um, was uh, more of an enterprise data warehouse and of course was being used internally for by HP. Um, 
for its enterprise data warehouse uh, deployment, which was about a 250 terabyte system uh, across three different systems uh, replicated for um, uh, essentially for the three different uh, zones, you know, uh, so this regions. Was a, this was a system, I think, I believe when Mark Hurd was there, this was a system that uh, he helped get sold and deployed in a few big uh, companies. Yes, yes. Walmart, uh, Research in Motion, uh, you know, Sainsbury's, uh, Woolworths in, in Australia, Sainsbury's in, in England, uh, UK. Uh, so, so yeah, we had uh, some pretty nice uh, big deployments and, and very successful at the end. Um, but financially, I guess we didn't pull through. So um, when Mark left, uh, we sort of were taken off the market in 2011. Um, and then we actually took that, it was still running on nonstop servers. And so uh, I was in the CTO group at that point, and we essentially had taken this entire uh, code base and, uh, and then, of course, done a lot of work on uh, getting onto a Linux uh, code base. And that process was actually underway, but it did not get completed in time. Otherwise, we would have been probably pretty a compelling solution in the market because the non-sub servers were generally more expensive, right, compared to the Linux. By the way, um, at stuff. this point, uh, so if we're talking circa 2011 and later, at this point, you, you know, uh, you're probably observing kind of this generation of NoSQL systems right. coming. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And they all started coming up. And and within HP itself, uh, we we were part of HP IT because you know Randy Mott did not want to lose this development team. He was relied on NeoView at that point. So we had then we then you know implemented this on Linux, and now it was running uh, running the EDW um, this what we internally call the Sequest project uh, is running the enterprise data warehouse for HP IT, and it's still doing that. And then you know IT was sort of struggling in in some sense because they uh, they could not keep hire people or keep people because now you're working on a database that's not commercial, so it doesn't look well on people's resumes and things like that. So, so they were sort of, you know, thinking of changing and, and maybe leveraging HP Vertica for uh, ADP EDW deployments. So we we had to look for some commercial uh, opportunity for this IP, which has been developed over you know 20 plus years. Um, and so we we were we thought that the best thing to do would be to really take this and put it on an open source and on top of uh, Hadoop. And so we got a support from our um, our CTO um, which, uh, for HP that was uh, Martin Fink, and uh, he he headed up the HP Labs. So HP Labs funded uh, the the project we called Trafodian, and then we introduced uh, Trafodian into the market uh, 2014 in open source, uh, and then um, we went into incubation in 2015. So, so um, you know, I guess Trafodian. You just would you describe it as one of these new hybrid systems? Yes, first we are the the positioning in initially, as you might understand, is that we HP had HP Vertica. So certainly Vertica was our uh, enterprise data warehouse and BI solution or uh, analytic solution. And so we did not want to, uh, you know, uh, essentially compete in that market. We wanted to be complementary. And so we really focused on transactions and OLTP. And we figured that, you know, the BI and analytics market on Hadoop is pretty pretty busy anyway. And and so it might be better to be a king of the hill, so to speak, and on the operational side, and then maybe make that a beachhead and, and expand from there. So, so for, uh, for people who aren't uh, steeped in uh, databases and are maybe just users of uh, database systems, um, 
it seems like uh, traditionally there's been a distinction between systems that uh, are focused on operational things and right. uh, systems that are focused on reporting. And Th that's so, right. And so these new generation of hybrid systems aims to uh, kind of merge these two systems into a single system. Is that correct? That uh, maybe yeah, maybe I, maybe they don't claim that they're as good in any one of these dimensions, but good enough to to displace uh, two systems in many situations. Yeah, that, that's correct. I think that if you look at uh, you know, I mean, even even the proprietary systems, you, you've had Oracle mostly focus on OLTP and operational, but when they got into the warehousing, they sort of changed the architecture and, and came out with Exadata. Uh, Teradata is generally kind of you know done MPPs and and mostly focused on BI analytics. So so yeah, there has been that distinction. We actually were in in effect fortunate because we started an OL, OLTP. We redesigned SQL MX. We, we this was a actually a funded project by Microsoft by forty million dollars to actually make this an MPP database running on Windows NT. When we bought when Oracle when sorry when um, Compaq bought us, they didn't want to compete with Oracle. So they put us back on running on nonstop servers doing OLTP. And so in effect, we, we were doing OLTP with the same code base. And then we uh, you know, forked that code base and made it do EDW. So the, 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 the point is that we have an architecture that essentially you know, caters to both these workloads very effectively, which usually is not the case because you know you you sort of focus your market in in in, in a specific area. So we is, feel uh, are these hybrid mm -hmm. systems, Rohit? Uh, are these things that, based on your kind of long history in uh, the database industry and now in the, and now just talking to customers, are these hybrid systems uh, things that uh, customers are asking for? Yeah, I think so. So, so basically, as as you are, um, you know, as as you start looking at the kinds of workloads that are running now, even on Hadoop, uh, you are seeing that when everything started in a batch processing and so forth, so on, and then more interactive, and now people are demanding more and more operational and real time uh, type, uh, you know, responses from from the database. And now I think that we, people so, are saying so that when yeah. when people say real time in that context, to me that means interactive queries right right yeah and i think the real time uh you know definition of real time can go to sub-second response times or, or not so i think that if you look at some of the NoSQL uh implementations have been really to you know provide these operational type workloads you know to service those workloads except that they did that without you know without sql and without transactional support in some cases um, and and with a different data model. And what people are realizing is that no, they they can leverage SQL. And now that you know the the SQL companies have learned the lessons about what needs to be supported from a NoSQL perspective, I think that that blending of uh, relational abstraction as well as uh, providing the semi-structured and unstructured you know, integration into this with schema flexibility and and the, the whole MPP scaling and all that that is demanded by by these NoSQL SQL applications. I think that uh, SQL could still form a pretty nice uh, query engine on the top of these different, you know, storage engines that are, that are being provided now. So at a very high level, um, I guess uh, in your uh, in your talk in San Jose, you made this distinction between query and storage engines. So at a high level, uh, 
describe that distinction? Yeah, so I mean, I think that uh, in, in the past, uh, proprietary databases just you know provide did everything. They did query and storage engine was pretty, uh, except for MySQL. So MySQL has has this concept of a query engine, and you can plug in different storage engines on the back end. But now what has happened is because of the fact that you've got these different big table uh, formats and you've got uh, column store and, and you've got, uh, you know, search and, and uh, graph database and so forth. Uh, these are different structures, you can call it. But actually, since they reside in HDFS, in, in effect, they are like a storage engine. So the query engine is essentially providing, uh, allowing clients to connect, you know, submit queries. You got, and it allows to distribute these connections across the cluster. It compiles the query, it executes the query and returns the results. So that seems pretty simple, but of course, that's where the, the, the optimizer is. That's where the query plan is optimized. And then where you come up with a, a really good execution engine to be able to execute that. So that's, that's a pretty important piece that sort so, of brings so it all together. So when people say uh, the system is a hybrid system that can do tr transactions and analysis, uh, are they referring to both the, the query engine and the storage engine? Yes, because the storage engine then has to provide a lot of other capabilities, right? I mean, it provides the storage structures and the partitioning and the automatic rebalancing of those partitions and all that. Uh, but it also has transactional support that the query engine has to leverage. Uh, there is uh, compression, encryption, you know, backup restore, all, all the kinds of things that you expect in an enterprise type you know, deployment for disaster recovery and things like that. So the storage engine is providing some capabilities. The query engine has to provide, and there has, has to be a deep integration between the two in order to provide the kind of capabilities that are needed across the, the span from operational to, to analytics, right? So um, as well as enterprise type capabilities if you're going to deploy it in production. So, so it seems like the, the move to hi this hybrid systems is all around simplifying your stack. Is that correct? Or is, is there it, more to it than that? That's right. It is because right now, if you are trying to do operational workloads with some NoSQL uh, access, uh, and and you're trying to do analytics with you know using some SQL tools like maybe it's Drill or Impala or something like that or or Spark for that matter, uh, you, you've got various tools that you're having to use to to try and deploy these applications, and you know in a lot a lot of shops. Uh, but uh, a lot what about uh, Rahit, uh, what about this notion that uh, of the data lake, right? So you have all your data in one place, but uh, it, that storage engine may not be optimized for both workloads. So do you still need to move things around? Yeah, and I think that that that's still going to happen to some extent. Is that you, 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 and and that's that's exactly what we are uh, as Esgen also doing in, initially is basically. Uh, using HBase for low latency workloads, providing access to uh, you know column store like ORC, um, and and for for more reporting type workloads because it's it's better for for using that. And then of course uh, also working towards the in-memory uh, you know integration with Apache Geo through our partnership with Ampool to provide an in-memory um, you know solution as well. So yes, I mean I think that we we are trying to integrate those, and you might have duplication of data because Ultimately, if you're getting stuff in HBase, you might want to move that to ORC at some, at, you know, at some frequency. You know, Kudu is trying to address that by having a single, um, you know, solution that can sort of span the two types of workloads. But at the same time, you end up compromising, you know, two ends of it. So it'd be interesting how. Yeah, well yeah, Kudu yeah. Does. But, um, yeah. you know, I had Todd Lipkin here on the podcast, and he, 
and he admits, yeah. right? So, so there will still be certain situations where Impala and HBase, for example, on the ana analysis side, right? So we'll right, more right. Comments. Yeah, and I think that if we can, if, if we can essentially make that sort of seamless, where you know we automatically like migrate data from HBase into you know, ORC and 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 let the uh, query engine sort of federate and decide, you know, where to access the data from and and service it. Uh, I think you could get best of the, both the worlds, so it makes it easier for the user. They just have to use one query engine, and 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 the uh, and the DBA or, or you know designer can essentially decide how the data, where the data comes in, and how it's migrated and and you know and moved off, um, so that you don't have a whole lot of duplication of data, you know. So you have a single query engine that can handle transactions and analysis. But, yes. Uh, for the listeners out there but who aren't familiar with uh, databases but uh, the kinds of queries you do for transactions are very different than the kinds of queries you do for analysis right so that, that's correct do, yeah do so you have uh, do you have one system one optimizer that does both yeah we do we do have an optimizer in fact uh, it's both an execution as well as query optimizer uh, the optimizer so the optimizer essentially you know understands uh, and and that's where the keyed access and what we call the multi-dimensional access method that we have uses and leverages keyed access very effectively for operational type queries so you 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 essentially you know design a key though you know you don't want to create more indexes uh, because, of course, that creates yeah, transaction the, overhead. The notion here, I guess, uh, for the listeners out there is that in an operational setting, you may want to just get to Rohit's record, right? Rohit, yes, Rohit, exactly. the customer, a single row. Right, so. Yeah, single rows or, or even even clusters of rows. So you might have, uh, you know, you might give me all orders for this customer, right? Or, you know, I want to see with the supply chain, what's happening for these items for the supplier or something like that. So you're still sort of limited, you know, like op operational data store type queries, uh, call center type queries, people calling in to to find the status of their, their orders or, or whatever it is, right? So I think those sorts of queries can be easily serviced from, from uh, these operational short uh, short queries and, and something like HBase works very well for that because it's got this key to access and a nice clustering key you can sort of uh, spread the data across by by you know uh, salting it and and so you you can get nice parallel access too if if in fact somebody's going after a little bit more data yeah. but but then again you you uh, so so basically the optimizer recognizes that it has joins for instance um, it will use nested joins you know which are much much easier much better for uh, operational type queries and OLTP type queries um, whereas it'll use merge or hash joins right for for the larger more complex queries running against ORC files or or for that matter uh, even against HBase if if uh, if the data is there. So, so basically, you have to be able to provide these different types of joins and then be able to know when to leverage them because actually what we have found is that even, say, a star schema join can benefit from nested join, right? I mean, it can actually, you, you might, uh, what you call, take the dimensional tables and do a cross join amongst them and then do a nested join into the main fact table, which may be more effective than doing hash join. So the optimizer is sophisticated enough to understand that. Um, it also, and uh, you know, knows needs to know, you know, how to uh, manage skew and things like that when when the data is pretty large. So you need to be able to sort of span the entire gamut. And even when you're doing joins, um, for instance, nested joins can be very very bad. 
<laughs> if, if you have a very large number of rows qualifying. And so we have something called you know, uh, premiums that we, we apply so that if the cost is lower for a nested join than a hash join, it has to be you know, 20% lower or something for us to choose it so that we don't make a bad choice. So we have done things like that over time that we have discover, discovered in our customer workloads that uh, then make the optimizer you know, uh, so uh, to be able to handle these wide range of queries all the way from operational to analytics. So that, uh, that, that's the query engine. So I guess mm -hmm. uh, uh, for these hybrid systems, are there multiple storage engines? For, for these hybrid systems, uh, there could be uh, certainly multiple storage engines there depending on, on uh, the kind of access that you need. And that's where, you know, like I said, for HBase was great for low latency and for these operational queries because you can have keyed access. But as soon as you start doing, you know, more complex queries that are, you know, scanning a lot of data, HBase, you know, doesn't do as well, obviously. And so you have to shift to something like a column store, like ORC files or par parquet. parquet. In our case, we have chosen ORC files. Um, and, and so... We're not in the mainstream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, if you need a column store, it's just, you know, that's... Uh, yeah, now, certainly now if you're going... another project the... called Apache Arrow. Right. Yeah, Apache Arrow. And that's more in memory. And that's yeah. the next phase. And that's that's what we are obviously looking at uh, with, with the partnership with Ampool that we have is really leveraging Apache Geo, which is also a very you know, mature technology from Gemfire and so forth that uh, can provide us a nice in-memory storage engine that can, uh, and there are plans to extend, you know, uh, Ampool to to leverage, uh, you know, and, Arrow and as there's well. There's a so. project out of AmpLab that used to be called Tapion, now called Aluxia. Yeah, yes, absolutely. So then uh, in databases, you have the notion of a data model. And uh, right. now you have a data model that is going to support multiple workloads, right? So first off, uh, explain to our listeners what a data model is and uh, what are the implications of uh, having uh, multiple workloads. Right. So so essentially, you know, their data model is a little bit uh, overloaded term. So they were, yeah, data models used to have the implication of the normalized data model, which was essentially third normal form to sixth normal form for like operational workloads to uh, essentially for BI workloads, you would have, uh, you know, star schemas or snowflake schemas. And, and essentially, I, I think that the optimizer has to understand these, uh, these sorts of, uh, you know, for, uh, models. Um, and, and, uh, we started with Cascades, which was a, is an engine, um, you know, paper published, uh, by, uh, Getz Graffy from Wisconsin, who actually was a part of HP Labs later on. And, and, uh, what that allows us to do, and then what we have modified the Cascades to do is essentially understand patterns. So you can you can look at the pattern of a query and see you know how is it accessing the data is this does this look like a star join and so we can essentially then figure out based on that you know how to to access and what's the most optimal plan to create um, for for this so that's uh, you know that's kind of uh, um, what what we uh, are able to do with uh, with with the optimizer right so 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 there's also the uh... Uh, so you talk a lot about HBase, but I think also in the Cassandra community, there's uh, recent projects that put kind of like uh, analytic capabilities on top of Cassandra. So I don't right. know how much you follow Cassandra. Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, certainly Cassandra uh, has, has a backing of data stacks where, you know, they've, they've got, um, so, so and that's doing pretty well. We essentially, you know, uh, committed to HBase 
because uh, you know we we felt that the Hadoop ecosystem was something that would be uh, good to leverage because it has all all these capabilities built in. Um, and it provides a lot of value, um, uh, you know, along with HBase. So, so, a lot, so, so that's kind of um, we, we, why we committed to that. Uh, as far as you know, supporting Cassandra, it would not have been much different than how we would support HBase because it's got this almost the same API, and uh, we leverage co-processors pretty well. So we could have used the trigger support to do that. Uh, but again, we we sort of committed to the Hadoop uh, ecosystem. So. You know, it's. I guess it's one thing to push out a NoSQL or some other form of database, and I think there was a time when there was like so many of them, right? But then I guess the rubber meets the road when you start selling to enterprises, and there's just kind of basic enterprise capabilities that uh, these systems need to have. So give us uh, kind of our a short list of some of these enterprise uh, caliber. Uh, features yeah so i think that the the the, major, the majority of the things that you see in an enterprise capability first of all is high availability so that becomes a very important piece and and really like the how, percentage how many nines yeah right exactly <laughs> and and so the the four nines get you like 52.56 minutes of downtime you know uh in the whole year, right? Uh, whereas uh, five nines gets you to 5.26 minutes of downtime which which might seem not you know, too different, but it's it's a really big leap uh, from a from a availability perspective, and and that's uh, that's a big challenge. You know, certainly uh, because you've got a lot of moving parts uh, also in Hadoop, so that's certainly a challenge for the for the for the industry as a whole. Security uh, certainly is another one. Um, I mean, uptime online operations really uh, is much more because you have to upgrade your OS and system and storage engine and all that. How do you do that all completely online and provide? And people are starting. Hours? I don't know, Rahid, if you're hearing this, but people are starting to talk about for some systems, maybe not for these hybrid systems, support for multiple data centers. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, the support for multiple data centers, uh, and so you've got you know disaster recovery, and you've got a replication, asynchronous, asynchronous replication, so that you can not only scale reads and writes, uh, but multi-master type support. And also, and so- uh, may, uh, uh, certain situations, like in Europe, they may want your data, the data, to be in Europe, right? So. Exactly, exactly, yeah, and and so. So yeah, so those uh, support for that, and as well as you know, multi-tenancy and mixed workloads. And as soon as you start getting into operational and in analytic workloads, you you get into the challenge of how do you manage mixed workloads? How do you prevent starvation of your OLTP or queries or other queries? If if certainly one query is you know large analytic query just takes on the system, you know. So so that whole balancing out of mixed workloads becomes a you know, priority based and things like that becomes a challenge. So yeah, so those. It seems like this notion of a hybrid system has. Uh, taken hold most significantly in this uh, transactions and analytics space. But I'm also starting to hear hybrid systems that, say, combine search and SQL, right? So search, right. search and yeah, analytics. Yeah, multi-model. And, 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 and actually, that's what, uh, when I was talking about data models, one part of the data models I was talking about was the normalized data model and, and so forth. But actually, the other aspect of data models is, is really being able to support big tables and search and graph right. uh, capabilities and all that. And, and so, so there are systems that support multi-models, but none of them have really taken hold in terms of people really gravitating towards them. 
Right. That, that's true. Um, but I mean, essentially, that's I think that people are looking to, you know, find a SQL engine that can support those capabilities across the board so that, you know, you can plug in whatever storage you know, requirements you have the best to for, for the access patterns you have. Actually, in and, many ways, Cassandra and HBase are, are systems where people are trying to do many of these things, right? So they're putting graphs. Right. They're doing yeah, analysis. Fact, yeah, they're doing transactions, right? So that's right. Yeah. In fact, there's a lot of graph, and uh, based on it, there's uh, certainly some capabilities that have been uh, integration capabilities between HBase and and uh, and Lucene and you know or, or Solar, which have been put in, especially by Impala. Uh, sorry, by uh, Cloudera. So, so I, I think that there is a lot of effort to try and integrate these to provide uh, a much better user experience and in a single you know single query engine to be able to facilitate a lot of this stuff. So Just in too many interfaces, too many APIs to deal with, right? Right, so. right, right, right. It seems like uh, definitely SQL is back in a big way. Yeah, it looks like, yeah, I mean, based on everything you see right now, there's been a lot of SQL deployments now. You know. So even actually, uh, so I'm an advisor to Databricks, so I keep tabs uh, closely on, the, on Apache Spark. So Spark 2.0, one of the things they've done with streaming is basically uh, made it more, much more accessible to business analysts and data scientists that so they're going to support SQL and, and data frames and, and pandas. So things that the, kind of the developers and the people higher up on the stack are familiar with. Yeah. In fact, I think that even with streaming, there's, uh, you know, you might know of uh, Jennifer Widom who had uh, proposed a, a standard for streaming uh, SQL um, in, in 2008. I mean, so um, so there is there is an opportunity there where you could leverage a lot of the windowing functions and all that in OLAP um, with this time-based sort of model and, and be able to go and, and process streams. And then once you have a, a fairly robust UDF infrastructure, and in fact, some of the, like we have implemented a, a, a table mapping UDF, user-defined function, which is now becoming an ANSI SQL standard as well, that actually was initiated by Astrodata, um, which allows people to be able to look at a UDF as a table rather than just a scalar UDF. And that really affords a lot more capabilities, like actually doing MapReduce right in SQL itself. So you can deploy these very powerful UDFs, uh, which can be powerful parallelized and and then feed into SQL um, as well. So so that affords a lot of these capabilities for again streaming. So how is that different than a data flow model like Spark? Uh, well, I mean, I think the data flow model, like so, so it is similar, uh, I would say, uh, except that you're really using SQL for the most part and deploying user-defined functions in there. Yeah, but um, uh, in Spark, you have uh, Spark SQL on top of right, your right. data flow model, right? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, that's what I said. It's, it's very similar uh, in, in what you're doing. And in fact, I think some of the, the there is some flexibility, of course, uh, within Spark because it has these different, you know, you can actually write uh, code uh, to do some of this uh, different languages as well as um, leverage SQL in, in, in a nice mix. So, so that does afford a pretty nice, uh, you know, you interface for it. Earlier on, you mentioned in memory. So, we also have kind of these next generation SSDs, kind of the non-volatile RAM. So mm-hmm. what's going to be the impact of some of these hardware developments on these hybrid systems? Yeah, so I think that uh, that that's certainly uh, the t- trend is towards uh, leveraging SSDs in, in, in uh, many use cases. What 
we have uh, we, it's not clear as to what workloads it actually um, you know is is beneficial for because I've actually seen some we we initially thought well I mean if you can uh, you know um, put the mem store and, and things like that uh, in in you know SSD then you know it would be or sorry sorry the log files the the right ahead log for HBase that would be much more effective on an SSD um, but then there was some test run that didn't indicate that that's the case so it would be interesting to see from a performance perspective you know where ssds really help certain workloads um, and and where uh, it doesn't have as much of an impact but i think this whole trend towards non-volatile uh, memory and all that that's good and 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 certainly there are workloads we have seen that will def- definitely benefit from it now on oltp workloads they benefit some but at the same time, like if you compare it to like HBase, because it already has MemStore, uh, which is in cache, um, we don't see as much of, a, of an increase because in, in transactional, you have to commit to the log anyway. Right. So you have to, yeah. So I, I think that the benefits are, it depends on the workload really. So Speaking of HBase, actually, uh, I've noticed this for many years, but most recently because I've been uh, helping organize uh, Stra- the Strata Conference in Beijing. HBase is big in China. Yeah, yeah. yeah there are a couple of big companies. Uh, or just generally, uh, a lot of yeah. people are uh, using HBase in China. Right. Um, and right. so I, I think you mentioned in the past that you guys, uh, your company has uh, operations in China as well. Right? So, that's right. Yeah. So we are essentially two sister companies uh, based in China and and uh, Milpitas, and uh, so the in, uh, so we have uh, you know customers there, and and certainly it's taking off. I think it mimics a lot of the things that we're doing in the U.S. and elsewhere, where you've got uh, there are certainly focused like uh, companies like Alibaba and all these guys are doing a lot of these um, you know uh, operational type things. And so their focus is in trying to do operational, um, you know, workloads. There is an emphasis from the government to really look into open source and move in that direction. So there's a lot of interest now in open source technologies because of that. Uh, so that's what we are seeing. And then there is also a desire, like most places, to say, how do we offload some of the workloads from Oracle, and in and, and so we can reduce the cost and so forth. So yeah, it's, it's not a lot of, of uh, in China, you know, people, yeah. wa- people wanting to offload load things off of Oracle. Yeah. yeah, and it's not just the BI and, and analytics. I mean, they're also looking at offloading some of the mission critical. I mean, it's not like replacing necessarily, but it's sort of saying, why don't we do, a, you know, change data capture and move that over to... Start weaning you know, ourselves away from Yeah, it. exactly. And 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 now you're, you got an ODS or something that you can service your customers and in, internal customers to uh, using using that model. Um, and, and, and then, of course, the other issue has been that you ultimately want to do analytics and all that, and a lot of this operational data is big. I mean, these uh, mobile uh, companies, you know, uh, cellular companies, they have huge amounts of data. So for them to move from one platform to another, it doesn't make sense. So they would rather just collect the data directly in Hadoop as well. So there's both, you know, uh, offloading as well as just going in and uh, implementing operational workloads on a scalable architecture like Hadoop, because so, that's where you're going to do analytics. So both in the US and China, and you can compare if you want, or or maybe they're the same. So where are we as far as HTAP, hybrid transactional analytic systems, in terms of how much education do you still have to do and uh, how much awareness is uh, is out there? Yeah, no, I think that there's still a, a certain level of education has to be done. I think uh, people are 
you, if you if you look at uh, you know our drill and other you know projects are, are are moving along, they certainly are providing that sort of coverage of a hybrid. I mean, it's not all the way to HTAP because it's not covering transactional workloads necessarily in in on all cases, or they or they're covering it in a different way. Uh, but I think that as people get more comfortable with operational and transactional workloads with Hadoop, I think they you know the need for an engine to be able to support all these workloads are, are is there. And certainly there are lots of players in the market, you know, claiming um, HTAP capabilities. So that that whole messaging around HTAP is is becoming more and more uh, prevalent. Uh, you know, now there's some people call it converged systems. Some people call it uh, multi-model support and things like that. But so uh, actually, uh, before I forget, I want to give a shout out. Rohit is uh, writing a a very good report for us on basically laying out the challenges of HTAP systems in particular. It's a, it's on uh, O'Reilly.com slash go slash DB Nirvana. And uh, so thank you, Rohit, and uh, good luck in terms of uh, pushing this kind of idea of the uh, hybrid system forward. I appreciate it, Ben. Thanks a lot. It was really great. You can follow Rohit Jain on Twitter at SGENCORP. That's E-S-G-Y-N-C-O-R-P. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe through iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode.